This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. Construct them to grow them in the things of the Lord, to help them to develop in maturity. You serve them with your life. See Norman Bartlett says it like this, we may waive our rights in pride or we can waive our rights in love. Which one do you want to do? You can say, this is what I can do and this is all the stuff that I have. Or you can forego your rights for the sake of others. The choice is yours. The choice is yours to be gracious in telling less mature believers about Christ or judging them for not being as far along in their faith as you. Today, as you look at what should be done, Pastor Cody is going to remind you that you're to live like Jesus on this earth. That means treating people with compassion and loving your fellow believers. If they're not as far along in their faith as you, it's an opportunity to help them grow in their faith out of love, being an example in how Jesus would live today. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 14 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Is eating that steak worth more than the soul of the person sitting next to you? Absolutely not. It's just not worth it. Is the steak good? Yes. It's really good, especially if it's medium and if you sear it really nice and you have some seasoning. Like, it's really good. It can be amazing, but it's not worth more than the human soul. You see, maturity values people over pleasures. That's what maturity does. Here's how Alexander McLaren says it in his uh, commentary on Romans. If the most obvious thing in your conduct is your eating and drinking, your whole Christian standing will be misconceived. And men will fancy that your religion permits laxity of life. But if on the other hand, you show that you are Christ's servants by righteousness, peace, and joy, you will be pleasing to God and men will recognize that your religion is from him and that you are a consistent professor or you are consistent professors of it. You see, Jesus gave up his very life. Isn't that what we read in verse 15? He gave up his very life for them. Is it too much to ask that you give up your meat for them? Or is your faith, so-called faith, merely a self-serving thing? Is that all it is? It's just a thing that makes me feel better. It's just a thing that I do for me, and I really don't care how it affects anybody else. You see, in one sense, the mature are identified by having a tougher conscience, and in another sense, the mature must cultivate a sensitive conscience for the benefit of others. It's both and. Not only do we see that liberties are influential and temporal, but they're also forceful, verses 19 through 21. Look at verse 19, it says this, therefore, here's our third therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. You see, maturity in Christ brings you to believe that we are connected to others and that they are more valuable than just my freedoms. And this is revealed in what we pursue. When you really believe this, when you really believe that you're interconnected with other people and you genuinely believe that they are more valuable than whatever freedom that you think you should have, then it's shown in what you pursue, what you chase down. What is the force and direction of your life? What are you given over to? You see the mature push toward two things in verse 19. 
Two things that they push towards. See it there in verse 19? The first one is peace. Let us pursue the things which make for peace. Now, peace is not the absence of conflict. That's not the peace that we're talking about. It's not just that everyone just gets along and everyone holds hands and everyone just says, let's all just pretend like there's no problems, there's no issues, and that's not peace. Peace is, even further than that, it is to absorb the conflict. It's to remove it from them. Think about it in this context. When we're talking about a mature believer and an immature believer, the mature believer's call is to say, because of my faith in Jesus, because of of his great love for me, because of the way that he has bled and died and rose again, and he's given so much for me when I didn't deserve it, now what I can do is I can absorb the potential conflict between me and them, and I can just let there be no conflict. The conflict is there, but it's just absorbed within me. I remove it for the sake of the weak. That's the idea of peace. The second idea is, see it there in verse 19? Edify. To edify. Do you know what edify is? It's to build up. It's a Bible word for build up. That not only do you remove the conflict by absorbing it into yourself, but then you take your efforts and you pour them into building them. You don't just absorb the conflict and say, gosh, this weak Christian is so annoying. I just wish they weren't around. No. Now you use your effort to instruct, to build, to construct them, to grow them in the things of the Lord, to help them to develop in maturity. You serve them with your life. C. Norman Bartlett says it like this, we may waive our rights in pride or we can waive our rights in love. Which one do you want to do? You can say, this is what I can do and this is all the stuff that I have. Or you can forego your rights for the sake of others. The choice is yours. One of these is actually submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and looks like Jesus and is fed by Jesus and is empowered by Jesus. The other one is just selfishness and pride and arrogance. When self-serving is your driving force, what will happen is you'll destroy others in the process. Isn't that what it says there in verse 20? Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. If all you're focused on is serving yourself and getting for you and taking more and absorbing more, then what you're going to do is destroy other people in the process. And God's desire is that you bring them peace and build them up. You see, the weaknesses of others are not opportunities for our exploitation, but rather are opportunities for edification, that we get to build them, not exploit them because of their weakness, not to look down on them because of their weakness, but to say, look, I have a strength where you have a weakness. I can help you in this. And here's what I'm going to venture a guess toward. They probably have a strength where you have a weakness. If you're willing to admit it. If you're not so arrogant as to think that you know everything and that you're the best at everything. And you can probably learn from that one that you've labeled as weak. You can probably learn from them. You can learn from anyone if you're willing to. If you're wise enough. If you're humble enough. The conversation moves in verse 21 from the negative to the positive. But notice the way it says it. Look at verse 21. It is good. See, it's it's this good thing. Neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. You see, it, it moves from the negative to the positive, but the good is defined by what is not done. Here's the good stuff that is not done. But essentially, we're going back to the thought that we started off with at the end of chapter 13, that maturity is defined by self-denial that those who are mature will deny themselves. And so we're back to that thought. And so he says, deny yourself meat or wine, or then he says, okay, we'll do anything. This is to say, if I didn't pick the thing that's on your list, 
then that too, right? Anything that fits in this gray areas of doubtful things, that goes there as well. And there are three potential levels of destruction from doubtful things. Think of it like this. Imagine there's a path. It's this imagery of a pathway and there's a trip hazard in the pathway. Let's say it's a dirt path and there's a rock coming up out of the path. And that your life is the rock coming up out of the path. That's the concept. Your liberties, the things that you say, I have the right to do this. I can do this thing, but it's a doubtful thing. And so the thing that comes up out of the path is that liberty. The first level, notice there in verse 21, is stumbles. That there is this destruction in somebody's life because they stumble. This is the imagery of the moment that their foot catches the hazard and they actually lose balance. It's where their foot catches that rock and they lose their balance and they begin to stumble and they could possibly fall down and injure themselves. The idea here is that they're being enticed into sin. Here's the concept, and we're going to get into this here in just a minute, but the idea is that there are some things that may not be sin for you that could be sin for them. And so if you do that and they see you do it, they might feel like they have a freedom where Jesus has not given them a freedom. And that by you participating in this thing, you actually cause their walk with the Lord to stumble. You cause them to no longer be fully walking with the Lord. You entice them into sin. Not only stumble, but also it goes a little bit further. It's, it's actually, as we go further with this, it's going into more, how do I say this the right way? Lesser view? I hope you'll get it. Level one is stumbles. Level two, look at there in verse 21, is offended. Do you see that? is offended. This is the possibility for tripping. It's that there is this rock in the way. It hasn't been removed, but it's been left in their way. The idea of offended is to cause displeasure. They see it, they notice it, they see it's there, they're displeased by it. It, it sort of offends their conscience. They don't necessarily do it, but they see you doing it and they're like, oh, that's just, that's durian gross, you know? And you're like, ah, it's actually good. I like it. It's nice and sweet. They go, yeah, but it smells like death and diapers. And so you're ah, just, ugh, I can't believe any Christian would do that. That kind of a thing. That's what it looks like. It's to cause displeasure. The third level is there at the end of verse 21 that says this, or is made weak. This is to say that they see the trip hazard they try to avoid it because they realize it's a thing that's an issue for them, but they twist an ankle and they're made weak in the process. It's the idea of feeble or without strength, that they're trying to do what they can, but they just lack the power, and so they end up hurting themselves in another way by trying to avoid all of this. You see, the strong are going to practice self-denial to serve the weak, even in what might be disruptive to the weak one's walk with Jesus. It's not just that they actually stumble. It's that they could maybe even trying to avoid it end up twisting an ankle and that's enough to make their potential sin your sin. That's what's being stated here. We've got to see people through these kinds of eyes. Now, I want to throw one word of caution here at this point. All of this does not apply to violating someone's legalism. It doesn't apply to that. 
it applies to violating their genuine walk with the Lord. Just because someone says, I don't like that, or you shouldn't do it, or I want to put this religious uh, thing on you, that doesn't mean you have to just go around catering to everybody's desires and needs. That's not at all what this is saying. This has to do with the actual progression of their relationship with Jesus. It's disrupting that, not disrupting their legalistic views of kinds of things. Because some people, whether they're religious people or immature people, they'll try to use this concept as a weapon for manipulation. You see, when Paul was confronted with this, he refused to concede. Here's Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, and they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedoms we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. Listen to this. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. You see, this is dealing with, this is targeting, this is focused on stuff that is not legalist stuff. You got to jump through these hoops in order to be holy. You got to do these things in order to be accepted before God. Oh, you have to have these regulations and then you can be received as the right kind of a person. This is talking about things that actually disrupt someone's relationship with the Lord. You see, it didn't disrupt their walk with Jesus. It disrupted their religious overreach. And they redefine righteousness and holiness in their own terms. And that's not the gospel. And so Paul said, we're not going to do that. Fourthly and finally, uh, liberties are influential, temporal, forceful, but they're also personal. And that's where verses 22 and 23 come together to give us this conclusion. It says this, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. You see, the conclusion of the matter brings both the strong and the weak into view. Those who have walked with the Lord for a number of years, they've grown in the faith, they have this strength in the Lord, and they should be the ones growing other people in the things of the Lord. And also the weak, those who are weak for whatever reason, maybe they have some sort of injury that's happened to them in the faith. Maybe they just are brand new in the faith. Maybe they have some sort of thing that's taken place in their life that's pulled them away from the things of God. And and so this isn't to say that strong and weak means good and bad. It, It just means to say you're on this scale of growth in the Lord. And as the church, our hope, our desire, our will, our goal is to grow one another in Jesus. No matter where you're at, I wanna help you take another step in getting closer to Jesus. If you've never even heard the name of Jesus and this is the first time you're hearing about him, or if you've walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive, I wanna help you take another step with Jesus. That's the whole point. That's what discipleship really all comes down to. That's what the church exists for. You see, there's only so far that the strong can go in taking responsibility for the weak. At some point, The weak must be responsible for themselves. At some point, my daughter has to understand that a razor can be dangerous and you don't rub it on your nose, right? There's a point of maturity that she gets to where now she takes responsibility for herself and I don't take that responsibility for her any longer. As we grow, as we mature. Romans 14, 12, if you remember, we looked at this last week. It says this, yes, 
Each of us will give personal account to God. You are going to stand before Jesus. Your faith is yours. Their faith is theirs. Jesus is the Lord and the one we are going to individually be accountable to, not them. That's the truth. That's the reality. You're not accountable to them and you're not accountable for them. But these gray areas are issues of personal conviction and Jesus is the one who establishes the boundaries. Notice it says there in verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You see, this idea of condemning yourself is to experience conviction, that there's something in your life that Jesus has said, don't do that. Stay away from that. Leave that alone. You've got to stop with that thing that you think you have a liberty toward. I don't think you do, Jesus says. And so he brings this into your heart and you choose to ignore that conviction. Then what ends up happening is you're violating your own conscience because it's something that the Lord is trying to lead you in and you're just refusing to be led by the Lord in those kinds of things. It's personal kinds of convictions. Here's how David Guzik says it. You're happy if you do not condemn yourself by what you approve. Or let me turn it around. If we do not condemn ourselves by what we approve, we will be happy. Now, this is the point. Yes, you have the gray areas. Yes, you have the area of stumbling another brother. But then you have the third thing of, are you approving of something in your life that God is condemning? Are you trying to make room for something that God is trying to get out, to root out? It doesn't have to be bad in order to be bad. It also could be bad today, and not bad tomorrow, right? And it could be bad for them and not bad for you. This is how all of this works. It's very complicated, isn't it? It's, it's very nuanced. It's very complicated in the rules and the uh, religious regulations. They would just make it easier. Why isn't there just a verse that makes everything black and white and high and tight and we could just say, I got a verse for it. You can't do this and you can't do that. Why? Because the point isn't about religious regulation. The point is about relationship with Jesus. That's the point. You've got to have a living relationship with the living God. So let me say this. Actually ask Jesus. What do you think? What do you want? Where do you want us to go? How do you think we should all do this? Um, here's the major guiding principle in verse 23. It says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Listen to this. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Here's the big principle that's the conclusion of it all. The major guiding principle, can I do this in faith? You see, your life, it's not compartmentalized into little boxes. We tend to do that. I have my work box over here. I have my leisure box over here, my recreation box over here. I have my family box over here. I have my friends box over here. I got my church box over there. And we got all these different boxes and we kind of jump in and out of those and tend to kind of be different people in different settings. Depending on where you are, you're a little bit more this or you're a little bit more that or whatever. And what he's pointing to is saying, stop viewing your life that way. Your life isn't compartmentalized that way. You actually have one box and it's got a big label over the top of it. It's labeled Jesus. You got a Jesus box. And if it doesn't fit in the Jesus box, it doesn't fit. The way that you do work has to fit in the Jesus box. The way you take a vacation has to fit in the Jesus box. The way that you do your marriage has got to fit in the Jesus box. The way that you do dating has got to fit in the Jesus box. The way that you spend your money and invest and whatever, it's all, the way you drive, it's got to fit in the Jesus box. And if it doesn't fit, it's got to go. That's what this is pointing to. 
that your life isn't compartmentalized. It's not all subdivided like the way that we like to keep it. It's actually all together, all in one. If it's not from faith, it's sin. So the question is, can I do this in faith? You see, you're free to have personal convictions and personal liberties. But there are at least three things that need to happen before you take a liberty. Three things that got to happen before you take a liberty. Number one, submit it to Scripture. So you got to submit to Scripture. If you're going to take a liberty, it's got to be first submitted to Scripture. You can't go, well, I didn't read it in the Bible, so it must be okay. Here's a little tip. Maybe ask a stronger believer before you take the liberty. Maybe there is a verse that you don't know about. Maybe there is a principle that they can direct you toward and say, yeah, I understand why you could think that, but here, you know, I think you should actually probably move away from this, all right? So step one is to submit it to Scripture. Number two is this, submit to serving. It is possible to trip up the faith of other people around you, even if the thing doesn't violate your conscience. Saying something like, well, I'm not convicted about it, that doesn't mean it's good, right? There are lots of people who say they're not convicted about really heinous things. That just because you don't feel bad, that doesn't make it good. The truth is we've got to submit to serving other people and maybe see it from their perspective. What if I stood in their shoes for a minute? What would this be like if I was looking at it from their perspective? And then number three, submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. One last thought on submit to serving. And the idea that it's possible to trip up the faith of others. It's possible to keep people from even coming to faith in Christ because of the way that you live. You get that idea as well? It's not only just to mess up believers' lives, but to mess up non-believers and keep them away from Jesus just because you're taking a liberty that violates their conscience. All right, submit to Jesus is the third one. Jesus will absolutely direct your path. Be sure to ask him for his opinion. You see, if it can't be done in faith, then don't do it. And Jesus is free to change this on you. He can give you things today that are totally fine or not convict you about things today. And then later on say, you know what? I I want you to give that up. I want you to be done with that. I want you to be willing to no longer do that and to be willing to lay that aside. Jesus actually has an opinion. And if you'll submit to him, if you'll ask him, he'll actually tell you. John chapter 10 says, Jesus is the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. He is leading you. He is directing you. And you know the difference. You know the difference internally when it's just something I want and I'm resisting the Lord or something that he really is giving me the freedom to choose about. You see, this freedom and direction is only for those who are in Christ. And maybe you, as you hear this, you realize that you have not understood Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for you. You're kind of listening in on a conversation to Christians about some of the finer details of their lives, and you realize, I'm not really even in this kind of a faith. You see, the first freedom you've got to experience is freedom from the judgment for your sin that you rightly deserve, that God condemns and judges sin because of your failures. And the Bible word for that is sin. Any failure that we have in life is the Bible word for sin. John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, it says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the sons, speaking of Jesus, if the son sets you free, you're truly free. The freedom you need, not just the freedom to do whatever thing that you want to do in life or this liberty that you want to take in things, but true freedom is procured for you, is purchased for you by the precious blood of Jesus. 
He died in your place to take away the punishment of those failures. And if you recognize those sins, those failures, if you choose to abandon them, to say, you know what, I realize, God, the way that you are convicting my heart, I'm going to abandon those. And then you say, would you forgive me? And you receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Then this is the transformation that happens where you go from slave to son, just like Jesus was talking about. You go from slave to son. That's the first and most important freedom that has to be established. And then beyond that, you can set the boundaries for how you move forward in your faith. But we've got to submit ourselves to Jesus as Lord and God and King because of his great love for us. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Romans gives you an in-depth idea of what to believe as a Christian, but also how to apply that as you live it out. So think about it this way. Is what you say you believe consistent with what your life is living out? It's a bit of a heart check, right? Would your life be an accurate mirror to what you claim to believe from the Bible? We hope that you continue referring back to the book of Romans and the Bible in general for guidance on how to live your life. For additional resources and to hear this message again, head over to redemptioncalvary.org. You can listen to additional messages from this series, and you can also subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message. Once again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you'd like to request some prayer about what you're going through or how things relate to what you heard today, you can reach us at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. If you're interested in knowing more about this ministry or want to learn more about Redemption Calvary located in Commerce City, Colorado, please visit our website, redemptioncalvary.org. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Cody next time for another look at the Book of Romans, right here on Redemption Radio.